It is your Tuesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back with you for another day and another really good show. Um, Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a little while to talk go for football. That season, of course, starting just two days from now against Nebraska at Huntington Bank Stadium. Sellout crowd, Gophers favored by more than a touchdown in that game. Nebraska has fallen on hard times in recent years. Can the Gophers continue what has been really a run of dominance against the Cornhuskers under the P.J. Fleck era? That will be a big game for them. Randy and I will get you prepared for that, talk about the game itself, talk about some Gophers players to watch this year, their overall outlook, things like that. So that's coming up here in just a few minutes. Also some Viking stuff towards the end of the show. They've got kind of this off week right now where their roster cutdowns are due by the end of today. They made some moves Monday, none of them particularly surprising, but a list of top 100 players caught my eye the other day and just kind of the gap between Justin Jefferson and the next highest Viking on the list kind of gave me a new way to frame kind of their roster and their season ahead. So I'll get to that towards the end of the show um first though what did i miss let's go big on the twins this morning because they're interesting a lot of interesting things happened in tuesday's game have been interesting lately and i've kind of you know when i was kind of show planning i thought these i thought this was four subjects but really maybe it's two subjects that are kind of coupled together both of them have something directly to do with the 10-6 to victory the Twins had on Monday over Cleveland, which put them seven games up now in the AL Central race. A, a pretty commanding lead, especially if they can win one of these next two against the Guardians here at Target Field. The game followed a very familiar recent script in a couple of different ways. Very recent being, number one, um, they fell behind early, just like they did Sunday against Texas, and then they used a Royce Lewis grand slam to get themselves back into the game. That Texas game, he got them very close. This game, he gave them the lead with a grand slam, becomes the first Twins player in history to hit a grand slam in back-to-back games. Him rising to the moment. Royce and I talked about this on Monday to a degree, but... It's OPS in, you know, with runners in scoring position this season is over 1,000. Obviously, when you're going to hit two grand slams in back-to-back games, that's going to help your, uh, your your number in those high-leverage situations. But Lewis seems like he's built for these moments, right? He seems like he does not have any fear in these moments. And in, in quite the contrast, he looks like he seeks out these moments where, where you know, where, where the game is on the line, where there's a clutch situation. He's not going to come through in every one of those situations, obviously, but you, you have a guy up at the plate where you are starting to expect good things to happen when the game is on the line or it is a clutch situation. And that's a, that's a pretty key piece because I don't think they've had that necessarily for a while. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the notion of this maybe becoming a little bit of Royce Lewis's team. And I think that's a little bit overrated to a degree it's calling something someone's team i think we've tried to do that with the timberwolves and saying this is anthony edwards team now instead of carl anthony towns team things like that with the wild there's no doubt it's kareel kaprizov's quote-unquote team you still need all of your teammates to succeed things of that nature but 
the identity of this team is starting to be built maybe around more of that young core of players. Royce Lewis, Matt Wallner, Edouard Julian, those guys who have hit really well this year, who have essentially carried this offense, especially in the second half of the season, especially since Royce Lewis returned from injury. That's what I mean by the identity changing. That's what I mean by this kind of becoming their team. Now, if it's a changing of the guard, it is a change away from kind of that last wave. And I'd say that last wave led by multiple players. And I think, you know, Jorge Polanco, Max Kepler, those guys are still producing. But, you know, Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, who hasn't even been here at all this year, but Buxton kind of at the forefront of that wave came up in 2015. He's being counted on this year, but he hasn't produced to the same degree he usually does. He's on the injured list now. And that kind of goes to the second part of this uh, this equation, which is this. In past years, and I wrote about this on Monday, in past years, the Twins have struggled mightily when Byron Buxton has not been available. You go back all the way to 2015, the year he made his debut. He's been available for about half of those games since 2015. Now, not all of that's injury. Some of that's down in the minors. Some of that's just you know natural off days, things like that. But the Twins have played about the same number of games with and without Byron Buxton since the start of the 2015 season. With Byron Buxton... They play at about an 88-win pace for a season, which is, you know, enough to be in contention usually in the AL Central or for a wild card spot. Without Byron Buxton, they have played at a 73-win pace for a season, which is, again, nowhere near the postseason, which is down, you know, probably in the bottom two or three at least of the AL Central, even if that's a bad division, not a contending team. This year... This last stint on the injured list has been much different. They've become much less dependent on Byron Buxton. 14 and 10 now since he went on the injured list. Offense has taken off since then. They've played 24 games since he went on the injured list. I believe they've now scored 126 runs, which is, you know, 5.2, 5.3 a game. They were scoring 4.4 a game for the whole season before he went on the injured list this most recent time. So the offense has taken off as they've been able to use his DH spot across different places. And of course, other hitters have started hitting better. That, of course, is part of it too. But Buxton was not producing. His <clears throat> his batting average for the last three months before he went on the injured list was below 200. His OPS was like in the 660s. He was clogging up the lineup to a certain degree. So they have not been depending on him, partly because he was not producing and now other people are, and partly because they just have this kind of next wave of players, it seems like, that is carrying the offense. So that's interesting to me. Are we witnessing somewhat of a changing of the guard, or is this just a a month where they are benefiting from some hot hitting from some of these other guys, and it will, it will regress at a certain point to, uh, to be more of a Carlos Correa, Byron Buxton veteran-led team? I'm not sure. But right now, it does feel like it is turning into a Royce Lewis-led, this generation-led offense. And that's a good time for the Twins because these guys are certainly <clears throat> going to be here for a long time and are more of the future right now than anybody else. Now, the second piece of this is that they use their bullpen um, a lot in the last week, especially in that 13-inning game against the Rangers on Sunday. They needed some reinforcements. They call up Cody Funderburk. Uh, before Monday's game, maybe a little bit of a surprise that the corresponding roster move is an option of Bailey Ober, who has been a really good starting pitcher for them most of this season, has run into some rough outings lately, has pitched about 140 innings this year between AAA and the majors. You remember, he started the year down at Class AAA St. Paul, came up when there were injuries at the end of April, has been very good since then, but he is optioned out 
kind of the innings workload situation plus a lack of effectiveness lately maybe causing that move. But they also, the big piece of it is they need the arms, right? The Rocco Baldelli, after uh, after Monday's win, basically had, had told uh, Cody Funderburg, be ready to pitch. Here was Rocco talking about Funderburg's effort, and we'll get a little bit more into what he did in a minute. He looked really good. The, the types of swings that he was getting, uh, that's what we're looking for. I mean, he was in the zone. He, had, he went at them directly, uh, right in the zone, and uh, you know, you want guys to be able, we use the word attack all the time, we want them to be able to attack in the zone, but also not get comfortable swings. And that's exactly what we saw, that combination from Cody today. We told him, or I told him in my office today, came in, shook his hand, congratulated him, and said, be ready to pitch. You know, you're, you're, I'm just letting you know, don't don't come in here and think that, uh, you know, you're, you may just be here or you may just come in and, you know, mop something up. No, like actually be prepared to pitch today, like almost regardless of uh, situation. There were, there were a lot of different spots he was going to find himself in. So he spent the day getting settled in in the clubhouse, but also knowing there were, you know, in most games he was going to throw. When Funderburg pitched two scoreless perfect innings, ends up getting the win in this game. Kenta Maeda struggled. Speaking of struggling starters, he has not been as sharp lately. Um, but Funderburg gets the win in his Major League debut the same day he gets called up. A lefty gives him a little bit more of an option, like, like Rocco was talking about, gives him a little bit different look down there in the bullpen, but certainly was ready for his debut. Now, again, the corresponding move to this was Ober going down. Now, what I hope this is is just a... You know, a little, a little blip. Um, <clears throat> I don't think Ober's coming back right away. And in fact, here's Rocco Baldelli talking about Bailey Ober um, and how he handled the news of going down to the minors. I can't say if he was shocked or not. Um, Bailey is as professional of a young man as you're ever gonna ever gonna find in this game. The way he conducts himself every day of his life is is very impressive. And I've had several. You know, conversations with him over the last couple of years that are not easy. Today was not, it was not obviously an easy conversation, but I think um, long term, this setup, this move that we're making right now is, is going to benefit him. And although it's not going to be easy in some ways to handle it, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to uh, regroup a little bit physically, mentally, reset himself, um, and then, you know, get back out there and, and pitch and, uh, He's been he's been a very good major league starting pitcher pitcher for us this year. So when if you're optioned, uh, not really news you're probably expecting to get. But I, he handled the conversation about as well as you could ask. Now here's what I really hope this is: rosters expand September 1st. It's not like the old days where you bring up 12 guys and they they expand as big as you want, but they do expand by two spots. What I hope is this. Bailey Ober wasn't going to pitch before September 1st anyway, and he certainly isn't going to pitch before September 1st now with Rocco Baldelli talking about how he's not going to start on his next his next outing is not going to be on what his regular rest would be. So the next time he pitches is probably going to be at least a few days into September since he just pitched two days ago. Uh, what I hope is this. He gets a little mental reset. He kind of works his arm back up, and he is back up as that as that uh, extra roster spot. Essentially, Funderburg taking his place a few days early, him getting optioned out because that is an option and that they just needed arms, frankly, to get through this stretch where they were you know really decimated down in the bowl. Pen. I hope that because Ober's been really good this year, and I think if he gets a little reset here, kind of like what Joe Ryan got when he went on the injured list, he had a good outing when he came back the other day. Um, hopefully, they can get 
kind of through this stretch, get Ober back into that mix because they're going to need him. He was he was one of their best pitchers, and if Maeda's struggling a little bit, if they haven't been able to depend on some of those other guys that they that they had been counting on before, um, that's gonna that's gonna be a question going into the postseason. Who are your best three or four? Ober looked like that guy for a while. Maybe he can reset himself, but it is nice for the Twins to have options and to to be able to kind of mix and match here. And Funderburk certainly gave them a lot of good innings on uh, <clears throat> on Monday. In addition to Josh Winder, a three inning save for the Twins in that game. Didn't need a lot of pitches to get through those three innings. By the way, just I think twenty four pitches to to finish that game off um, to get to get the save. Yeah, twenty four pitches for three innings, um, and that one kind of went quick. Maybe Cleveland realizing that this one is kind of getting out of hand for them. So. We'll see where this goes, but they got to feel good about that. They got to feel good about Royce Lewis, where he's taking this offense. And I'll be curious to see what happens with Bailey Ober in the next few days. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. It's late August. It must mean it's time for go for football, right, Randy Johnson? The beat writer from the Star Tribune. (laughs) Boys of fall, here we go. (laughs) So, you'll, you'll, you'll throw a little Kenny, Kenny Chesney on there in that video. It's a great one. There you go. I mean, it's 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 August, and you know the way the college football schedule is constructed now. I mean, it used to be you kind of eased in. You had your directional schools. You had your this and that. Um, Gophers open Thursday at home, sellout crowd, Nebraska. Um, you know, Randy certainly a name program, but not a program that's had a lot of success recently but still certainly like you know jumping right in with plenty at stake because i think as we talk we'll both come to the agreement that you know this is a pretty important game you look you only have so many you only have so many home games and when you're favored like they are by you know at at this point a little more than a touchdown in this game and you look at some of the other things they have coming up on their schedule um randy this is one that you want you would never say must win in a season opener but if you're going to have the kind of season you want to have this is a game you need to put in the win column. Yeah, definitely. You know, the, the Gophers with their uh, very ambitious uh, Big Ten schedule, of course, uh, uh, the, uh, they don't have a whole lot of room for uh, for error, and for not, not a big margin for error there. So they they need to to win this whole game, uh, this opener against Nebraska. And you look at the schedule; you, you have both Michigan and Ohio State on there, teams that uh, were both in the College Football Playoff last year, and obviously those they'll be heavy favorites against the Gophers. Um, yeah, there's there's not, uh, you know, you don't want to get off on the wrong foot. We want to talk about the Gophers and just kind of players to watch here in a little bit, but maybe we can focus in on this particular game for a bit. Um, you know, we, we write about Nebraska a fair amount, and Patrick Roysik, our colleague, wrote about them a little bit um, over the weekend. But I, you know, and Roysik and I talked about this a little bit on Monday, but I hadn't realized just how far that program had fallen and you know i knew they were down but i didn't realize they hadn't had a winning season since 2016 and that they're not just like trying to break a little rut like they are they have hit a certain bottom and now with matt rule as the head coach and trying to kind of come back out of this uh it's been a long time since they were even like kind of good let alone where they where they were in the in in the heyday of the tom osborne era 
Yeah, it's it's been a, a, a tough situation down there for the Huskers. Basically, um, they've made some um, you know bad hires at, at, at the coaching position. Uh, when they they uh, when they got rid of Bo Pelini, they brought in Mike Mike Riley. That didn't fit. Uh, then they bring in Scott Frost, which you know that it made perfect sense to bring the former Nebraska quarterback in. He had done an outstanding job at Central Florida, but it just did not work there. Uh, I, I, it was interesting yesterday, uh, just looking on Twitter, and somebody pointed out it was the uh, anniversary of Nebraska uh, under Coach uh, Scott Frost last year, uh, playing Northwestern and having taken an eleven point lead in the second half. Uh, pulled an onside kick. Uh, oh, Jesus! Right. Started started Northwestern's comeback and the, and the, and, the, and a loss. And I pretty much pretty much thought that uh, sealed the deal for uh, for Scott Frost. And his, I mean, his whole thing aside from, I mean, there was many things, but his whole thing was they lost so many close games. Like it was just close they, and late all the time. Yeah, they could not they could not win the tight games. So, what are the expectations now? I mean, if you're playing a, a program with a brand new head coach that's that's been down on its luck now for really like six years, like what what do you expect from Nebraska? Again, a, a pretty heavy underdog in this game. Well, I think you will see better organization. Uh, they brought in Matt Rule, who uh, has a, done a very good job in the college football level at uh, making a winner out of Temple. Uh, taking over Baylor and making it a winner in, in, in short order after the Bears went through a, a big-time scandal off the field. Um, thought of well enough to get an NFL head coaching job. Didn't work out with, with the uh, Carolina Panthers, so he's, he's back in the college ranks. And uh, I look at it as a very good hire for Nebraska. I, I, I'm pretty impressed with, with his coaching. If you're the Gophers, is this a – Good time to to play a new team, or is there an element of surprise? I'm trying to figure out for my own kind of thinking. Like, is this when you'd want to play Nebraska, or or is there an element of danger in this game because you don't know quite what you're going to get? Well, I think you know there's always going to be a bit of danger against Nebraska because they have always have outstanding athletes. But I think uh, you're catching them when they're trying to get organized right away. I, I think Nebraska will be a team that uh, gets better as the season goes along. Gophers are replacing a lot of parts too, so you know they they have their own uh, growth to to do. But uh, I think they should be in a, in a, in a better better shape to start the season. Now, as we think about the Gophers and the packing order in in the Big Ten, you have them second in the Big Ten West, and again, this is all subjective, and you got to put them in some kind of order. But I saw you predicted your prediction. Uh, what was that? Iowa wins the Big Ten West. Go for second. Wisconsin third. You kind of figure though it can go a lot of different ways there. What 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 has you putting them in that order to start? And and what do you as you think about those three teams in particular? What what are some of the keys as you kind of think about how the Big Ten West will sort itself out? Yeah, you know, I got them at second. You know, some people say that might have been a little bit too high. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I, um, you know, I look at it as why I put them there. I just think uh, the the level of the of athlete that PJ is getting, a uh, PJ Flex getting, and the number of players they got coming back, they're in a pretty good shape. They yes, they they have to replace. Uh, a Mo Ibrahim and a John Michael Schmitz, uh, players, uh, great players like that. You're replacing a veteran quarterback in, in, in Tanner Morgan uh, with Ethan Kaliak Mass, who, who had five uh, games under his belt last year, so that should help. Um, yeah, I look at they, they, and I think they did a pretty good job too of addressing positions of need through the transfer portal or just internal development. Uh, 
transfer portal, you're looking at uh, Sean Tyler, running back, Western Michigan, Michigan transfer. Uh, then two wide receivers, Corey Crooms and Elijah Spencer. Uh, those guys should help that position pretty well. You And the other area is they should be markedly, markedly improved at uh, defensive line, especially the pass rush. Uh, you, you have a guy, you guys like Ja Joyner, Danny Strigal, and then uh, uh, the guy who's really turned a lot of heads in camp is uh, redshirt freshman Anthony Smith. Yeah, I think you probably identified a lot of the players that we might mention here in a minute. But as you kind of think about just the guys who will make the difference, I know you, you've kind of written about some of these guys throughout the course of camp or, you know, if if this is going to be a successful season, you know, this handful of four to six players is really going to key to it. It's probably it's got to start with the quarterback, right? Yeah, you know, he, he touches the ball every play. You know, he's as as he goes, so will go the Gophers. Uh, you know, you you're, you expect to see them pass the ball more than they have in in the past couple of years under Tanner Morgan. You know, I don't think you were going to see a, a 60-40 passing run. No. PJ is always going to be a ball control, run the ball, keep your defense on the sideline type of coach. Uh, when the when the uh, turnover battle, when the time of possession battle, but. I, I think you know you can see where a, a program or a passing game can be dynamic within that. You look back to uh, the 2019 season uh, yep. when you had uh, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman going nuts at, at the wideout position, uh, both making first team all all Big Ten. They still passed passed the ball only 38 percent of the time. Amazing. So it's you know it's just it's being efficient when you do pass. You feel like um, Calic Manis is ready for the moment as you strike you as someone who's got kind of that confidence and that swagger that you know maybe you need to 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 carry a team to that next level i think he kind of has a quiet swagger you know okay. and i don't i don't think it comes out uh so much w- in media interviews and things like that but i think within the team aspect i think uh i think they they have his back pretty well i think they know you know he brings he brings a little bit of uh, juice to that. You know he's got incredible arm strength and he can move uh, move around the pocket and move around the RPO a lot better than uh, than Tanner Morgan could. So I think you're looking at a at a at a little bit more uh, of a dynamic quarterback um, talent wise. Now will he have will, will he develop the savvy everything like that? That's to be determined. I think this is a big year of growth for him. As we think about the offense, still, if you had to put a label on. Here's second most important player, third most important player, anything like that. How how what's the pecking order from Calic Manis down 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 on offense? Okay, I, I would go with running back with Sean Tyler. Uh, see, see uh, he's not going to be a workhorse back like Mo. Yeah, uh, um, you, you'll you'll see guys like Zach uh, Zach Evans and Darius uh, Taylor in there, uh, a redshirt freshman, a true freshman, helping out Bry- Bryce uh, Williams, a senior. Uh, he should be able to carry the ball somewhat. Um, you also then after that, I, I got to look at the offensive line. You have uh, Nathan Bow uh, replacing John Michael Schmitz at center. I think he's going to be a, a big key to that. Uh, you know, the the uh, the the lines a little, it's ex- not as experienced as you'd like it to be, but the inexperienced guys are older guys. So that that's that's a good thing to have if if you're if you're going into a season like that. Defense that kind of starts with Tyler Newbin, right? I mean, he's not going to touch the ball on every play like Calic Manis, but he's certainly accomplished enough and you know is being tabbed as a, a day one NFL draft pick, assuming he has the kind of year they think he will. Yeah, he he really can. Um, you know, he he's extremely confident back there. He can make some plays. Uh, 
Uh, PJ calls him uh, an X factor in the in the same vein that Antoine Winfield Jr. was. Wow, that's uh, high praise. That's high praise. That's high praise. He says he, you know PJ says he's not the same type of player, but he, he can he's got that ability. He's got that potential, and he has been making some some big plays over the years. Now, Antoine Winfield Jr. was uh, one of the better defensive backs in Gophers history. So yes, Tyler's got you know, he's got a ways to go to to reach that, but he's definitely got that potential. And I don't think we forget, but it's it's easy to overlook and kind of as you know history solidifies around an eleven and two season. Like Antoine Winfield made some plays that absolutely saved some games that year. Oh, Fresno State for sure. Yeah, you know, Fresno yeah. State comes two years in a row. He he killed Fresno State. Um, the his, the year before in in eighteen makes that interception uh, in the end zone to to thwart their rally. Then in overtime in nineteen uh, swoops in and, and picks the pass off. To end the game in the second overtime. Yeah, which was kind of the kind of this kind of the key to their season because if you know, again, this is all revisionist history, but they did not they were not excellent in the non-conference that year. We kind of oh no, three meat grinders against uh, South Dakota State, Fresno State, and and Georgia Southern. They you know, they had to they had to gut those games out, and and he, all three of those could have went the other way easily. Yeah. If it flows down, then from from Newbin, who who are you considering? maybe the second and third most important players on the defense this year. Well, I think you got to look at Justin Wally at one of the cornerbacks positions because they'll be breaking in a new cornerback on the other side. Um, Cody Lindenberg at linebacker, you know, he's yeah. taking over for Mariano Sori Marin. Um, he's poised to have a really big year. He looked very impressive during training camp. He, he can get all over the field. He has speed, you know, and he's, he's got the leadership ability too. He's, he's, he learned quite a bit from Mark Mariano. So that, that, uh, that should help a lot. Then up front, um, I think uh, you know, one guy, kind of under the radar our guy is uh, 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 Tyler ba- uh, Ky- me, Kyler Baugh at, at uh, defensive tackle, man of the nose. There, he's he's going to be one that uh, if he can set you know set that middle, um, give him the give him that type of uh, presence and productivity up front. Uh, you know, you're looking at uh, a good could be looking at good things from the defensive line. Who's going to take Sorry Marin's place in the regular Tuesday media room though? Because he was like a he was like an every week guy. I feel like yeah, he was. He sure was. Um, that's that's going to be interesting because I could it might be more of the same. Uh, it might be you know you, you could you could see uh, Lindenberg being one of those guys. Um, yeah, just it's, it kind of depends. It's there. This is a team that's growing into the uh, um, growing into leadership roles on offense. Uh, one guy that's been uh, Pretty much a good spokesman for him has, has been Nathan Bow, the the six okay. year senior from Lakeville. I was kind of joking about that, but it does go to go to a point of you know it, as much as they probably believe in the talent of this team, there is an element of leading. There is an element of you get into these close games, someone's got to kind of step up, make that play, or say the thing that kind of gets you refocused. And and you're right, maybe they do, maybe they have to find that out a little bit on the fly this year. Yeah, it's it's. I think this is a team that's going to be. Forming its identity as the season goes along, you know, just just uh, listen to PJ Fleck what he's had to say about it. He, he's very impressed with the work ethic with his team. He calls it one one of his favorite teams to coach so far. He just whatever he's he's said he's thrown in front of them, they've they've knocked it down. They've they've done everything um, he's asked them to. Last thing for you, they were out at the fair I think not too long ago. Was that uh, was that a business trip or did they have any fun out there too? Oh, it was a little bit of business because of a few of the players. Uh, they they made a few players uh, available in media, but but mainly it was a it was a it was a pleasure trip and you know meet and greet a little bit too. 
um, uh, BJ Fleck was doing his uh, radio show, TV show, and during that, a few of the players would show up and watch it a bit and, and interact a little bit with with the crowd. I, you know, it, uh, the the fans certainly want that want want the Gophers to beat Iowa this year. Uh, something yeah. they don't do under under Fleck yet, but uh, I think PJ would like that too because that's derailed a few pretty promising seasons. Yeah, it, it, he he had said it's like the the things he heard. It's like um, you got to beat Iowa, and why haven't you? <laughs> it's like, well, we finally beat Wisconsin, and now it's beat Iowa, right? Yep. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the season has in store. It starts Thursday, like we said, that game against Nebraska. Not anywhere near a layup, but a game that they probably need to have if they're going to have the kind of season they want to have. So plenty of intrigue in that Thursday night game at Huntington Bank Stadium. Randy will be there. I'm sure many of us uh, on the staff, in addition to Randy, will be there as well. Randy, appreciate the time as always. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Mike. Talk to you later. Good stuff from Randy as usual. And I should mention um, Chip Towers from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution will be with me on Wednesday's show. At least that's the plan right now. Um, He wrote a big piece Sunday talking about Georgia trying to repeat, repeat, three-peep as uh, national champs. They're trying to become the first team to do that since, yes, the Gophers since the 1930s. He had a huge piece on that in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution over this past weekend. I want to pick his brain on Georgia about the history that he got into with with the Gophers program from you know what's about 90 years ago now and uh, just kind of what what the daunting task is of trying to three-peat in this era compared to back then so Chip Towers from the Atlanta paper will be be with me on Wednesday's podcast let's finish with the cooler like I said at the beginning something caught my eye the other day with the Vikings in a top 100 list ESPN did a list of the top 100 NFL players right now going into the season. And, of course, these lists are subjective. Take them for whatever they're worth. I think it's pretty well put together. But, again, you know, these are just people's opinions. That said, what struck me about this list was, A, Justin Jefferson, number two in the entire NFL on this list, right below Patrick Mahomes. That is how highly regarded he is right now in this league. So it's not surprising, um, but that's that's definitely showing you for a wide receiver the impact that he has right now on this game and how good he is. But the bigger picture takeaway I had was that to get to the next Viking, you had to go all the way down to number 81 on this list, Daniil Hunter. Um, that was interesting to me because it's a pretty significant gap right there. You know, 2 to 81. Kirk Cousins also on this list at number 94. I think he was like the 12th quarterback on this list, but there's a huge bunch of quarterbacks in the top 50. Then it drops off quite a bit until you get to some other quarterbacks. So that's another piece of it that maybe I'll write about later this week. But the thing that struck me mostly is that Justin Jefferson doesn't have a true running mate right now. And I don't mean another wide receiver or playmaker. I mean another star. He is the star of the Vikings right now. There is no other star. There is no other elite, elite player on this team. Um, I think that's a departure from past seasons when they've had other skill players. Maybe Dalvin Cook was in that category for a while. Certainly, you know, Back in the Adrian Peterson era, you had Percy Harvin for a while. You had some of these other defensive stars, Jared Allen, guys like that. 
Um, this is a departure. This is, this puts a lot of pressure on Justin Jefferson, but also shows the excellence of Justin Jefferson. Who can step into that role? Who who next year will will rise on that list, close that gap? Could it be Hunter with a better year? Could it be Jordan Addison if he has a big rookie season? Could it be TJ Hawkinson if he becomes one of the true elite, elite NFL tight ends? I don't know. I'm not sure who that is, but it does show how how much of a how much pressure and how much expectation and how much the Vikings just do rely on Justin Jefferson in terms of that game-breaking difference. So just caught my eye. I think I might write about this a little bit more later today. Speaking of today, that'll do it for today's show. Like I said, Chip Towers from the Atlanta paper should be joining me on Wednesday's show. I'll be out at the fair on Wednesday as well, talking to Wild General Manager Bill Guerin, expecting to use that interview on Thursday's podcast as well, in case you don't get out to the Star Tribune stage. That interview around noon on Wednesday out at the State Fair. So that's coming later this week. Uh, Bobby Nightingale uh, from the Star Tribune should be joining me on Friday's show to talk twins coming off of that Cleveland series. So that is kind of the rest of the week plan until then have a great rest of your tuesday back at it again tomorrow